नमस्कार आदाब सत्याल फ्रेंड्स दिस इज केजीएस यू स्टैंडफर्ड 90.1 पॉइंट वन एफ एम आई एम प्रांजली एंड यू आर लिसनिंग टू चाय टाइम टुडे विल स्टार्ट अवर चाय विथ रिनाउंड हिंदी पोइट पंडित मैथिली शरण गुप्ताज फ्यू लाइन्स चारु चंद्र की चंचल किरणें खेल रही हैं जल थल में स्वच्छ चांदनी बिछी हुई है अवनी और अंबर तल में पुलक प्रकट करती है धरती हरित तृणों की नोकों से मानो झूम रहे हैं तरु भी मंद पवन के झोंकों से such beautiful lines if you know hindi you'll find that in these lines there is one particular moment in a place where mathli sharan gupta's words take you his words paint the picture of that scene to bring the moment alive a poet uses the medium of words a painter uses paint a dancer uses gestures however there is an art wherein instant is captured as it is no words no paint nothing is added and yet we are presented with a moment that is magical Yes, I'm talking about the art of photography. I call it the art of the present because a photograph can be captured only in present, not the past, not the future, not before, not after, but rather the moment in which the person is living. I love looking at pictures and especially pictures taken by a very special photographer, Preston Merchant. Today it's my pleasure to welcome him in our studio. Preston Merchant is a California-based photographer. We'll know about him. Talk to him very soon. Stay tuned. not only Stanford Hospital and Lucille Packard Children's Hospital but several other local hospitals as well and they need your help to save lives if you are in good health and between the ages of 17 and 74 the Stanford Blood Center invites you to donate you can even make an appointment online all blood types are needed for more information please visit bloodcenter.stanford.edu that's bloodcenter.stanford.edu or call 650-723-7831. For more than 55 years, the colleges and universities of the United Negro College Fund have helped thousands of students rise to new heights of academic achievement. When you support the United Negro College Fund, you support the dreams of these young people. Often these are dreams that were once out of reach. Rise to the challenge and support the UNCF. because a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Welcome back friends. This is KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM and today on Chai Time we have a very special guest Preston Merchant. He was a guest blogger for CPI Mutiny and is currently a contributing photographer at the Aerogram. He teaches photography as an adjunct professor at Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism in New York. He is a featured artist in the Smithsonian Institution's exhibit Beyond Bollywood Indian Americans Shaped the Nation. He has contributed to media in the US, India and Europe including the Wall Street Journal, National Public Radio, India West, India Broad, The Karwa, The Hindu, Das Magazine and other places. His pictures can be found at his website archive.prestonmerchant.com. Welcome to the show Preston. Thank you very much for joining us here at KZSU. How are you? Thanks very much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So, Preston, photography is an art of observation, about finding something interesting in an ordinary place. And I think it's not about the subject, but about the photographer. What do you think of photography as an art form? It is an art form. It's a little bit more um complicated as an art form since it relies so much on a, a current moment a, a factual reality 
Um, but the photographer's task is always to try to make that reality seem a little more elevated, more informed, more interesting. Mm -hmm. And that's where the challenge is, as you point out. So how and when did you decide to become a professional photographer and why photography? I started photographing um, relatively late. Um, I started this around the year 2000. I had been trained as a writer and I was working in New York. Um, book reviews and poems were my medium. Mm -hmm. But I found that I wanted more of a connection to reality and I was fortunate enough to um, make several trips to India in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. And I, I loved India. I found it very fascinating, interesting for all the right reasons, uh, north and south. I did some extensive travels um, and I wanted some way to respond to what I had seen. And photography pre presented itself. Um, so I am mostly self-taught and um, I dived in, you know, with the very specific purpose of photographing things related to India. So you started as a photographer for like South Asian diaspora, the India, uh, India as your subject or it was, eventually it happened? Uh, well, it was very interesting to me. Um, and living in New York um, at the time, you know, travel to India was relatively expensive and I was working a full-time job and, and didn't have as much time as I would like. So I became interested in the Indian communities in New York. Mm -hmm. um, this is in the late 90s, early 2000s. And, of course, they're not all from India. They've come from Guyana and Trinidad, or they've come sure. via Africa and London, mm -hmm. other places. Yeah. And some of these folks live in um, very um, organized communities. So the Guyanese of Richmond Hill, Queens are a very tight group of people. And they've got their shops and food and cricket clubs and, and all that sort of thing. And I just found it quite fascinating that Indians could be living in the United States never having been to India. Um, you know, mm. they're descended from indentured laborers who came to the New World in the 19th century. Yes. So, but their culture is unique and interesting and um, vibrant and fun. And so I kind of fell into it that way. So is it just the Indians in United States that have captured your attention or have you covered Indians living in other countries too? I've covered Indians all over the world. Um, at this point, I'm up to about 15 countries, um, mm -hmm. and that's um, nearly every major place where there is a large Indian community. Uh, there are historical reasons why Indians are where they are. Um, a lot of it was the need for labor in the sugar colonies in the 19th century. So Britain um, abolished slavery in its colonies in 1834, but still had a need for labor. So they um, turned to a system of indenture and in India and the colonial government there. So Indians were incentivized and taken to um, Guyana and Trinidad and Jamaica in the Caribbean and, and Fiji in the South Pacific and parts of Africa and other places to work as laborers. And uh, the indenture period ended around 1916, but those communities remained and became strong. Um, and Indians were um, built fully functioning societies, middle class, professionals, not just um, continuing to work in agriculture. And these places are there today and, and very interesting and vibrant and um, not as well known as they should be. So you travel to a lot of countries and try to capture special uh, events and uh, moments happening? Yes, I was, I was looking for ways to photograph that would be suggestive of the reason why Indians are in these various places. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I wanted each country's pictures to look a little different. Oh, okay. So, I mean, I followed a political story in Malaysia. Uh -huh. um, I photographed in the sugarcane fields in Fiji, where there are still Indians cutting sugarcane, um, kind of a window back into the history of, of Indians in Fiji and other places. Um, in Britain, there are lots of different 
uh, well-organized communities of Punjabis and Gujaratis and Indians from East Africa and Indians from uh, India itself. Um, and so trying to capture the ways in which these communities are alike and distinct and modern and hybridized as well as finding elements of the traditional, that was always the challenge. Yeah. So I'm sure a lot of people ask you this, but what is the most interesting or challenging diaspora country have you ever covered? It's always a little bit of a tough question to answer because I could make a case for every place that I visited. Hmm. Um, but one country that I find the most complex is Britain. Uh, the hmm. United Kingdom has had a longer experience of immigrants from South Asia um, going back, you know, over 100 years. That's not so much the case for um, the United States or Canada. But the... Um, uh, British Asians, as they call themselves, have very discrete communities. There are Punjabis in South Hall. There are um, Sikh Punjabi communities in Wolverhampton and other places. Um, there are well-organized um, Gujarati communities in different towns. And they have, they're there in large numbers, and they have their own places of worship and business connections. So the, um, the identity for them is different. They're not just British Asians or Indians living in Britain, but they have more distinctive identities as Punjabis or Punjabis from a particular part of the Punjab or mm. um, Gujaratis from particular towns in sure. Gujarat or Gujaratis who came via Africa. And they maintain um, some separation, unfortunately. Um, but it, it is an interesting and complex place for the matter of the Indian diaspora globally. Definitely. So you said you traveled to India and all this started. So was it just the diversity and richness of culture or was there any special attachment or something just clicked and you thought that this can be your subject matter? How did this happen? Right. I think something clicked. Um, at the time, I was working um, in development for a higher education group and was sent to India to help organize a conference in Delhi. Mm -hmm. And a lot of universities and colleges around the country would be attending from India and from other places around the world, Japan and Canada and parts of Africa. Um, and so I went and organized, helped organize that event, but then also got to see Greater Delhi and the Taj Mahal and places mm -hmm. in the north, but then made a trip to South India. Yeah. And stayed in um, Chennai and Madurai and visited uh, Kodakanal, the hill station, yes. and, and places there. So um, my first trip to India was not just that of a tourist, but I was able to see um, how certain groups work. Um, a lot of these colleges had what they called extension programs, working with rural people or tribals or children um, disadvantaged. Um, so I got to see sort of parts of India and sides of Indian culture that most people don't see on their first trip over, and I, I was very much drawn to it. And any favorite place there? Well, a lot of my experience of India has been in South India, so I'm quite partial to the food of Chennai and, and Madurai and places like that. Um, doses and Italy's are quite wonderful. Um, my, as it turns out, uh, my wife is from India. We married uh, six years ago after I was well involved in this project, and her family is from Delhi. See, so, that is the connection I wanted to know about. <laughs> well, it, it, it is, a, of course, a very strong connection that yes. I'm now part of an Indian diaspora family. Uh, but yes. it wasn't my first connection. It came later. <laughs> but as I say, now that I have a strong connection to Delhi, my sort of sense of India is much more um, oriented toward North India now than it had been in the past. Yeah, talking about Delhi and North India, those that series of photographs, that is my favorite one. Whenever I miss India, I look at 
those pictures and they are amazing and here i would like my listeners to know about the website it's archive.prestonmerchant.com and they can see all your photographs there yes so talking about that particular project north india how did you decide on that particular topic because those pictures are amazing well thank you beautiful um i've i've been interested in Delhi for a long time, and I'm sort of beginning to start a project photographing the city of Delhi, um, but trying to do so in a slightly different way from most of the pictures that you've probably seen over time. Um, not not just the monuments and the you know the street life, but Delhi is a complex, um, sophisticated city of wealth and power and politics and people driving fancy cars and getting in and out of helicopters and all of that. Yes. Um, usually when there are images of India in the media, it is not of the, um, you know, prosperous and moneyed side. Of mm -hmm. course, there's a downside to that bit of the economy. Sure. But India, um, Delhi especially, is, is there are some great stories and books about um, Delhi is a modern city, but less so in photography. So I'm, I'm interested in that aspect. Sure. So was it challenging to shoot in India? Um, and when asking this, uh, the special cities comes to my mind is Delhi elections. There are so many people. There is commotion, enthusiasm. It's electrifying. So when you shoot in India, how do you keep calm? And how do you keep your camera calm? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think since I've been at this for a while, I, I, I kind of know what to expect. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not intimidated by large crowds now the way I was when I first, say, went to India years ago. Um, and politics and the street theater of it is certainly integral to life in Delhi. Um, and I was there in January of this year when the Delhi municipal elections were on. And, of course, they were um, hotly contested with the BJP bringing all of its you know, people to the fore, including yes. Prime Minister Modi speaking at rallies. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, the um, Ahmadmi party with um, Arvind Kejriwal also sure. doing its thing. Mm -hmm. But it was interesting to see, um, you know, the, the constituencies are different. The culture of those two parties is different. Yes. And to see how all this plays out in Delhi in different neighborhoods that I wouldn't necessarily have visited had I not gone to the rallies. But in every case, I mean, people are welcoming and friendly and they're interested in why I'm there. And, of course, it's a, you know, it's a public event. So wanting to impress the media is certainly something people do at political rallies. <laughs> Any particular incident you remember from that trip of yours or shooting the elections? I was actually, uh, there was a BJP rally in uh, Transumna um, uh, that I photographed, and it included um, Prime Minister Modi coming in by helicopter and all of the security arrangements and all of that kind of thing. Um, and I was not wanting to be in the press pool or in the in the VIP box, which is usually where they want to put the media. I wanted to be out among the crowd, you know, with mm -hmm. the, the folks in the chairs who were holding up the signs and, sure. and, 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 and getting very excited. But the interesting thing was just the way the uh, Delhi police managed a large crowd. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we've, the police, of course, are in the media here in the United States for abuse and shooting unarmed people mm -hmm. and other problematic things. And it's interesting to see how the police in another country manage um, a difficult security situation with a head of state. And they do so calmly and with professionalism and they don't agitate and they don't provoke. But they'll, I mean, I saw a police officer talking to a man who tried to hop a barricade, talk to him for 15 minutes. I mean, and the, the man was making his case why he should be on the other side of it. And the police officer was saying, well, he didn't belong there. 
but I, I can't imagine an American police officer engaging in a conversation with a, you know, someone breaking the rules for 15 minutes very calmly and very orderly. Preston, that is such a welcome change because we always hear and talk about all the negative things, but this is such a positive thing. You're talking about the Indian police and, yeah, definitely it makes sense, right? Yes. And, uh, yeah, they do it with calm. They have to. <laughs> I'm sure there are times when it, it breaks down and yeah, bad yeah. things happen. Of but course. as a general rule, it's mm-hmm. my experience of India that... You know, they do how to, they know how to manage large crowds, and they, they do so without making the situation worse. And they are without arms. They have just a little lati or something. Well, these men had rifles slung. Oh, okay. they were, they, I mean, they were there to protect the prime of minister. Course, of course, that um, was a different, different kind of security. But they didn't come in to intimidate or to provoke the way we, hmm. we've noted that happening in the United States. Sure. So uh, somewhere uh, I was reading about an article written by you, and you were saying that India's footprint in the media was considerably smaller in the late 90s and in 2000s. So do you think over the years it has changed? It has changed greatly. Um, the, the, the media interest in India um, mm-hmm. over the last 20 years has, has increased profoundly. Um, there are more Indian Americans working for media companies. Um, in some ways, Indians are overrepresented in the American media. Um, but it's very common to find Indian anchors and reporters and, and, and journalists of all types in, in all fields working at the highest levels, which is a very good thing, of course. Um, and thanks to the Indian diaspora in America, you know, they are consumers and they're driving part of the interest in India because of business reasons and politics and globalization and all the, the forces that we um you know, we're subjected to over here in the economy. Mm-hmm. So in India, you know, it's always, the, the talk is always, well, you know, will this be in the Indian century or the Asian century and all that kind of thing? And whether or not it comes to that, no one knows. But certainly India is a, a major player on the world stage for all the right reasons and, and more and more connected to the United States and with it um, a greater interest um, among Americans and Indian Americans in the affairs of the subcontinent. Sure. And coming back to United States, uh, recently I saw very beautiful pictures taken by you of Ramayana, the play by Mount Madonna School. So yes. Tell us more about that event. Yes, it's quite fascinating. Uh, Mount Madonna School is located in Watsonville, which is just um, about 30 miles south of San Jose. Yes. And it's a, a, a K-12 through high school, and it's attached to the Mount Madonna Center which is an outgrowth of a, of a yoga um, retreat center and ashram that was started by a silent monk from India uh, in the 70s. Yes. And so this school has been producing a stage show of the Ramayana mm-hmm. um, for the last uh, 37 years as a school, and it had been doing it before, uh, a few years before that as the center. Mm-hmm. But it's quite fascinating. There are It happens once a year at a theater in San Jose, and there are 200 or so cast members. That's every student in the school. And there is elaborate makeup and costumes. So, you know, Ram is depicted in blue uh, paint. Uh, there are mechanical monsters. There's an enormous um, Kumbhakarna, okay. who is, uh, I think, maybe 20 or 30 feet tall, big mechanical wow. creature uh, mm-hmm. that a, you know, a per- person stands under. Um, but the this, this story of the Ramayana is told as a, as a musical. There are song numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh, monkeys and demons and forest people and bears and frogs and all of the, the kids of the school involved in, in a very elaborate production, which is a very uh, wonderful retelling of the Indian epic. It's, it's quite a good thing. Great. I've heard a lot of good things about them, but never ever watch them next time. So beyond Bollywood, Indian Americans shape the nation. Such a wonderful project. Tell me more about it. Yes, the Smithsonian Institute's Asia Pacific Center has organized a, an exhibit um, chronicling and celebrating the contributions of Indian Americans to life and culture here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, that's the title, Beyond Bollywood, Indian Americans Shape the Nation. Mm -hmm. And it's currently on view uh, at the National Museum of Natural History which is part of the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C. Yes. And it has begun to travel. Um, the parts of the show were in um, India earlier this year, and they're making their way around the country. There's a, a traveling component, and it's going to be in Fremont the first week of August. Yes, I was going to ask you about it. When is it? I think it opens the first week of August at the Olive Hyde Center, and it will be up for um, a matter of weeks, I think. So, Preston, among all your works, which one is your favorite? Among the individual pictures um, or, or the, the projects, yeah. Um, it's tough to say. I mean, like I say, I've been involved in this project uh, photographing the Indian diaspora for about 15 years. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of photographs um, and a lot of different countries and people and events and interesting things, I mean, all over. So it's tough to narrow it down to a single favorite. Um, I mean, I think I could answer it just about you know, of I have a course. favorite in, in every country, and I've met wonderful people and, yes. and all of that. So, But, I, you know, I, coming to the end of this project, I'm now looking for um, a, a book publisher. Mm -hmm. uh, the project is called India World, and I have always envisioned it as a, as a photography book. Okay. So I'm putting the final touches on my, my draft version and, and hoping to find a publisher soon. Tell me more about that book. Yes, um, the collection of these photographs, um, edited um, and presented in a, in, a, in a creative way, I hope. But I've, I've organized it into three sections. Uh, my work from the British Commonwealth, those would be the, the countries where um, Britain had a colony and, and imported Indian labor mostly. So Guyana and Trinidad, um, Canada, Fiji, Australia, um, Malaysia, Britain itself, places like that. Yeah. Um, the middle section is Indians in the United States. Um, okay. American Dreams is the title. And, you know, I've, I was in New York for a long time, and so I photographed in the Northeast. Um, and I've been in California for two years and made a, an effort to really concentrate on the communities out here in the Bay and in Los Angeles and in um, Sacramento area, the, the Sikhs of Yuba City. Mm -hmm. um, and then the final section is about the uh, cane cutters in Fiji, since they are a, a community who probably aren't going to be cutting cane much longer. Politics in Fiji and the economics of sugar have made that no longer tenable. So the, the last Indian cane cutters of Fiji are, are right now, you know, cutting cane, and their children are certainly not going to continue in that tradition. So that's the closing of a chapter um, for the Indian diaspora in Fiji. Yeah, so I'm sure... Um this book is going to be amazing, and we all are waiting for that book. But if you want to see all the photographs, we can still 
have access to them, right? Yes, there is a generous sampling of these photographs on my website. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got it set up at archive.prestonmerchant.com. And there is a link on the main page to India World. That's mm-hmm. the title of the Indian Diaspora Project. And there you can see, I think, 70 or 80 pictures from all over the world. And um, I think you'll you'll find a good sampling there. Yes, and I have seen each and every picture in that black and white series. It's amazing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Beautiful. So I've seen all your pictures, and I kind of know, but still I would like to know from you, what's the style you use when photographing? Well, my style is informed by documentary photojournalism. Mm-hmm. So it's realist, uh, realistic, um, unposed, and candid pictures. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I do work in that tradition, um, and the sort of rules of it are hard and fast. I mean, situations are not to be set up or repeated or um, otherwise influenced by the photographer. I try to be the fly on the wall. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm grateful that um, families and communities and, and other folks have welcomed me into their lives and allowed me to, to photograph freely, you know, their activities and, and what they're doing. And, to, and in doing so, just to leave me alone, just let me you know, do my work and, and pay no attention to me. Um, and so I really value that. Um, and so the work, you know, that I have done is, is very much in that tradition. Great. And this is the human aspect of it, but uh, what is the place of technology in photography? How it has changed over the period of time? What do you think? Yes, I mean, uh, photography has always been a technological medium. Mm-hmm. You know, there is always science involved in, sure. in imaging, mm-hmm. and it had used to be a chemical-based process. Yes. Now it's a digital-based process. Yeah. Um, uh, but the resources that are available, you know, to the average consumer for photography are profound and wonderful and growing less expensive every day. So... You know, when I started photographing this project in the early 2000s, I was using manual cameras and slide film, you mm-hmm. know, very old school. Yes. Um, and then digital cameras became more cost effective for me anyway, somewhere around uh, 2006, 2007. So I got into digital in a, in a major way, and my, uh, my photography changed and improved greatly. I mean, you can see the immediate feedback on the screen in the back of the camera in a way that you couldn't if you were shooting slides and having to wait, you know, days or weeks until you got them back from the lab. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it has been, uh, of course, a great boon to journalists and documentarians and artists to have this, these resources available and to be able to put them to good use. Yeah, and what is your, which one is your favorite camera? Like, we are not doing any product placement, but still. (laughs) Well, I I try not to be too attached to cameras. I mean, I've used many generations of Canon's digital cameras Hmm. um, currently with that. But when I started um, photographing with film, I had a Canon film camera and then some old Olympus film cameras from the 70s, manual ones. Um, Now, I I don't use them now, but with the digital, I still shoot Canon, but I use my iPhone and, you know, whatever camera happens to be there. So, yeah, it's all all part of the mix. Definitely. And if you had to choose one lens, which one it would be? Well, a lot of photographers um, do not use zoom lenses, Mm -hmm. thinking that there is a kind of purity to the prime lens, usually a semi-wide angle, like 35 millimeter. But I've always used zoom lenses, and my current one um, in the 35 millimeter format is the 24 to 70 um, perspective. So it's a a wide to a short telephoto. Mm -hmm. Um, But I need the wide angles because Indian, you know, any Indian event 
is going to involve lots of people. Definitely. So I need to be in the middle of the action and seeing as much of the scene as possible. So shooting wide-angle photography has been the, the main thing that I do. Sure. And indoor versus outdoor shooting. What is the difference and what do you prefer? Uh, the challenges, of course, are different. Mm. Um, indoor often involves the use of flash and complicated lighting um, variables. But I've grown comfortable with that and I'll, I'll shoot inside with flash. But it's always at least for this particular project, a little more interesting to be outside because the landscape is very much um, a component to um, what I'm shooting because I want the place to be as resonant as the, as the action of the photograph. So being outside in the landscape of Fiji is one thing, being on the streets of London is another, and, and trying to include the place details is, a, is something that I've always tried to do. Great. And uh, how important is Photoshop? in your final image. Do you do uh, that? Well, um, the, the main program, Photoshop, I use very little, mm -hmm. but there is another Photoshop product called Lightroom, okay. which is what I use to organize and edit the pictures. And its um, ability to manipulate the photograph is minimal. Hmm. So it works well for journalists. In fact, it's what we use at Columbia when I teach the um, uh, photography course to graduate students in journalism. So... Um, yes, I'm not, I'm not removing pixels or moving them around. I'm just sort of optimizing for the tone and the clarity and the contrast, the color. Those are the variables that I deal with in Lightroom. Great. And uh, so uh, for me, I'm a PC lover, but when it comes to radio editing, you cannot do without a Mac. So how about you? PC or Mac? I started on a PC. Mm -hmm. um, with Lightroom on a, on a PC years ago, but I have since switched to Mac and never looked back. So okay. I, I, I'm very much a fan of Steve Jobs' products. Welcome to the club. Exactly. <laughs> and may I ask you, what is your favorite place to shoot? I know you like uh, shooting in India and you have like shot in so many different locations. So is there any particular place, would you say? I think I'm I'm less wedded to the places than just the situation. So, I mean, I can be perfectly happy photographing a child's birthday party as I am surfers on a California beach or cane cutters in Fiji or a political rally in Delhi. I mean, I love the variety um, of all of these places and the challenges that they um, present to a photographer. But um, uh, it's less for me about the place itself than what's happening and the, the people in the situation. Yeah, it's not about the place, but the people. Right? The place is certainly important, and mm -hmm. I try to reference the place. Um, but definitely the, the, the human context is, is what's important to me. And any dream subject or dream place where you want to go and click pictures or you want to cover the event? Or? Sure. I mean, like I say, I want to turn my attention more to uh, photographing in India. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the drawbacks, um, to call it that, of photographing around the Indian diaspora, you know, since time and money are limited, was that I was traveling to South Africa and Dubai and Canada and not going to India. So now that I've pretty much completed the diaspora work, I'd like to spend more of my time photographing in India now that I have such strong connections uh, through my family and uh, my experiences all over the world. So working in Delhi is what I want to do in the future. Great. And then you teach photography too. So tell me about that side of yours. 
Yes, uh, I have been a, a teacher for many years. I started out when I graduated from college. I taught um, high school English and Spanish, mm -hmm. um, and I taught creative writing when I was in graduate school. Um, but for the last several years, I've been teaching photography to graduate students at Columbia University as an adjunct um, professor. So uh, that is also an interesting challenge um, because there's a technological component that we talked about mm -hmm. as well as an artistic creative component. Yes. Um, and then there's uh, journalism, which, you know, is not art photography. It's, it has to be, you know, realistic and presented with integrity. So that's all part of the challenges of, of teaching graduate students in photography at Columbia. Yeah, and taking a photograph and then teaching to photograph, two very different things, right? I think so, but um, I, I believe that photography, rather like writing, is uh, an inherent human skill hmm. and that people can come to photography naturally. I mean, the greatest photographers in the world are children. You hand them a camera and they run around and they come back sure. with these marvelous pictures. Yes. But then we go to school and we learn and we make things more difficult and we second guess and, and get away from the purity of it. So... Um, I think in teaching photography, you can get people back to a state where they can appreciate this inherently and not have to think so much about it. Of course, you know, skills have to be learned and mastered and the technological stuff needs to come with it um, these days. But um, people are natural photographers and they can be made to optimize those skills. Yeah, and talking about natural photographers now in this age of smartphones, everyone is a photographer, right? Everyone is a phot photographer. Everyone is a documentarian. Yeah. Um, but what is it that makes you a fine photographer? Taking a picture is fine, but how do you become an expert? Any advice to the photographers? Sure. Um, I think for me, you know, my, my interest in photography is as a storytelling medium, mm -hmm. you know, not quite so much an artistic one. So finding ways to tell stories in photography is, is always a challenge, and that's what journalists do. So um, it can be less about the technical aspects and more about the content of a photograph for mm -hmm. a journalist. So getting students or other people interested in, in learning how to tell um, stories with photography, um, the rules for that or the, or the guidelines for that is the same as they would be for fiction. Uh, curiously enough, but you're trying to present a character in a situation where it's clear what's going on, where there's some gesture, emotion, um, some pleasing aesthetic. You know, we don't look at ugly photographs. We look at, at, at pleasant, you know, pretty mm. photographs, even if they're of difficult subjects. So all of those components can be learned and, and exploited and, and, you know, put to good use. Yeah. And is it difficult to keep yourself away from the happenings or the subject because nowadays there are a lot of shootings and violence and all that and I see all those pictures and I wonder what is going on in the photographer's mind? Sure. Is it um, I, yes, I have a little bit of experience with that. Um, mm -hmm. Some of the most difficult photographs I have taken were at um, a funeral in Lodi, California mm -hmm. um, two years ago. A Sikh man, 43 years old, named Parminder Singh Shergil, mm -hmm. who suffered from some mental illness, uh, was a Gulf War veteran, and he was shot by police near his home after mm -hmm. his mother had called them, uh, worried about his safety. So he was uh, thought to be uh, unarmed and agitated, but the police, two police officers came and... You know, we know that these stories happen all too often, but they killed really him. sad, yeah. Um, but uh, he had a, a public funeral. 
um, and the Sikh community, uh, of course, and other Punjabis and Indians from greater Sacramento and, and everywhere else um, came to Lodi. And so it was a big event, and he was buried with military honors. Um, and there were a couple of journalists there. Um, I was one in, in photographing it, and I did a story um, for India West. Mm-hmm. But the grief of his mother, um, the support that she had from her female family members and companions, um, the tragedy of, of this man who was you know, shot under mysterious circumstances from the police. Um, uh, he was a Gulf War veteran and, and buried with military honors, so he had the gun salute and the presentation of the flag, and so one American institution was honoring him, but another American institution, the police, had killed him. So Mm. very much a tragic um, circumstance, and it poured rain. I mean, the funeral procession was in just the worst possible um, weather conditions, and it made the day even more sad. And so photographing it um, is a challenge. I mean, you don't necessarily want to point your camera uh, in, in the face of a grieving mother, but you just sort of have to do it. You have to do it. Preston, that is such a poignant story. I can feel it. I have seen the pictures we are talking about, but after listening to this story, I have a better understanding of the whole series of events. Thank you for sharing this with us. And here I would like to ask you, what keeps you going? What motivates you? And who do you look to for inspiration? Well, I'm I'm passionate about... um these stories, and I'm always looking for new and interesting things about the Indian diaspora communities that I find, Mm -hmm. and I try to find ways to, in photography, to um, avoid cliches or photographs that you've seen before. So, I mean, Indians are are well-known in the United States who have been doctors and engineers and things Mm -hmm. like that, so I haven't really photographed those. We know what those stories look like. But Indians who are involved in the arts or in agriculture or in, you know, doing interesting and, and different things in the United States is what, you know, I've drawn to over here. Um, and then overseas, of course, the historical reasons why Indians are where they are and the ways that they've hybridized the culture. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's, I find that, in, you know, eternally interesting and will always want to be photographing it. You should write a book on that, too. <laughs> I may. Thank you. And how is it? Marrying an Indian. <laughs> yes, uh, my wife is um, was born in Old Delhi in the Daryaganj section. Mm-hmm. Um, her father, who lived with us until very recently, he, he passed away, but he was a tour guide in Delhi in the 70s. Wow. And so lived a very colorful life, taking mm-hmm. international visitors in the Golden Triangle sites. And then uh, moved to the United States in the um, 90s. And so my wife grew up, you know, half of her life in Old Delhi and the other half um, in Queens, New York, until she moved. We all moved to California. Mm -hmm. So, yes, the Indian diaspora is right in my home. Yes. (laughs) So, Preston, um, with the barriers of getting into photography becoming lesser and lesser, how are you staying competitive in this quickly changing field? Um, it's a, a tough environment yeah. to make money in. Hmm. Um, there are, of course, all sorts of opportunities for publishing free photographs. 
Uh, but yes. if you know free does not pay the bills or, or you know keep you up with cameras and computers. I know. Yeah. So I mean it's a challenge. I've been a freelance photographer since I moved to California. Um, I had multiple jobs in New York, um, not all of which involve photography. Mm-hmm. Uh, but trying to be a freelancer out here is you know this is a well-known challenge yes. um, since there are fewer opportunities um, than there used to be at the professional level for photographers. But you know that doesn't mean I'm going to stop trying to take photographs and Definitely not. find them in good places. You're mm-hmm. going, doing great and you're going to do great. <laughs> uh, so any ongoing projects or um, any future projects you would like to tell us about? Well, like I say, I'm putting the finishing touches on India World um, to be, I, I hope to be published as a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, after that, um, I'd like to turn more of my attention to India um, and photograph in Delhi as a, as a sort of modern, sophisticated city and, and less of the street photographs and monuments that tend to dominate photographs of, of, of Delhi. Mm-hmm. I'm also interested in more stories in the United States on the Indian diaspora. Whether or not they'll be part of the book doesn't really matter, but um, uh, the generation of Indians who arrived to the United States in the 1970s is retiring Mm-hmm. Um, and the uh, recent census has shown that Indians in America are the wealthiest and best educated demographic group. Mm-hmm. So there's a generation that is now um, retiring, and they will have more opportunities in retirement than most Americans for the, the just the fact that they've saved their money and done very well and kept the community organized and, and all of those good things. So um, stories on Indians aging in the United States, um, I think, right now is a, is a very interesting topic and one that I'm beginning to explore. Great. And you have been traveling to India. You have been photographing India. So as a photographer, if you have to sum up about India, how will you, what will you say? Well, I think my experiences of India are, are fairly common. That is, I, I found it to be a rich and fascinating place. Mm-hmm. Um, the food is wonderful. The people are warm. I mean, there are those cliches. I'm mm-hmm. not blind to India's faults. Yeah. Um, certainly the disparities of income and the, mm. the, the rural poor and the social woes that have plagued certain quarters of Indian society for a long time, casteism, um, abuse of women, the rapes in Delhi. I mean, these are all yeah. uh, not to be avoided if you're a, a journalist, even though you very much admire the people in the culture. So, um, like I say, my experiences are, are fairly common, but now that I'm connected by marriage to an Indian family, I, I'm a little bit of an insider in Delhi now, and so hmm. I, I am enjoying seeing... Um, the country from uh, from that perspective, um, and I find it very gratifying and interesting. And you know, we'll always um, want to photograph, you know, in ways that are informed by these things. Definitely. And uh, do you understand Hindi, or do you speak Hindi? My Hindi is very limited. I wish it were better. Um, my wife, of course, speaks Hindi, and my father-in-law did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish that I had made more of an effort to learn the language. And I, I again, I, I hope to continue to improve it. But it has always been the case that wherever I am, whether it's in India or in Fiji or in some other place, there are people who somebody speaks English. Yes. So I, I've not had as much trouble um, interfacing um, 
you know, even though I don't speak Hindi, but it would certainly be an advantage to me as a journalist. Sure, and I think photographers, they don't need words. You are a writer, so definitely you are a master of words, but with photography, you don't need anything. <laughs> well, you, not necessarily, but oh, you, you, you do need to understand the situation and the nuances sure, of it. Sure. Um, and you miss something if you don't speak the language. You may still take a wonderful photograph, but it's always better to be as informed as possible and part of that is knowing the local language yeah and i kind of agree with you that connection has to be there right yes. yeah photograph or play or painting anywhere you can see that connection definitely so next time we are talking in hindi then i hope so <laughs> anything you would like to say to our listeners here preston I'm just glad for um, to be here and certainly glad for a radio show that Chai Time that focuses on Indian things in interesting ways in the Bay and beyond. So, yeah, it's, it's very much a, a good thing for the community um, at large. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for your time. It was such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Thanks. Friends, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. And it's absolutely true when it comes to the pictures taken by Preston Merchant. If you really want to enjoy some good photography, you can find Preston's work at archive.prestonmerchant.com. It was a pleasure talking to Preston and I hope you all enjoyed our talk. You can listen to us again at soundcloud.com slash chai time radio. You can find all the older episodes there too. So friends, photography is about capturing the moments and life is about living those moments. Try to live them to the fullest. I wish you all the best. Have a great Sunday and have a great week ahead. Take care and I'll see you next Sunday, same time. And here we'll end our show with some very beautiful music by Shakti. Shakti.